Blaze Radio Network. And now, the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, On Demand, on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. Each and every one of you happy warriors. To each and every one of you, I say welcome to this show where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works. Just uh, recently, somebody wrote in a question to me at the We Happy Warriors website. And uh, that's a great place to reach me. I've noticed, you know, I I stop by Facebook every now and then. I visit the uh, Friends of Rabbi Daniel Lappin page. I visit the uh, the Rabbi Daniel Lappin page on Facebook. And um, but the place that I really follow carefully, and uh, Susan Lappin does as well, and the place where we respond most directly is on the happy wehappywarriors.com website. That's right, wehappywarriors.com. And so if you are not yet on our list of happy warriors, then um, we'd love to see you there. So go right ahead to the wehappywarriors.com and uh, on the website you'll be able to join us and then we shall be linked and you will be part of the community that is focused on improving its family life, its financial life, its physical fitness life, its faith life, and its friendships. So um, just go ahead and do that. So somebody writes me and says, uh, Rabbi Lappin, I just learned that we share about 98% of the DNA we have with chimpanzees. In other words, if you examine the DNA strand uh, of humans and chimpanzees, it'll be 98% similar. Uh, And if that's the case, why do you keep insisting that there is such a huge difference between humans and animals? And uh, the the answer is not that complicated to to explain. And uh, I explain it. And and that is, look, um, you've got to understand that the reason that one of the five Fs that we consider to be so important for the complete fulfillment of your life is faith. Now, faith doesn't only refer to faith in God. Faith also refers to anything that is non-measurable in a laboratory. I've often explained this. Um, If you want to understand, um, you know, why it is that uh, two people who've had exactly the same earning capacity and the, they've worked for the same amount of time. And again, you know, one, one has to stipulate this hypothetically, but uh, imagine two people who've had exactly the same income for the same number of years. Why won't they have the same net worth? Well, because you can tell that with animals because animals have definable needs. It's not hard to figure out what a leopard needs or what an ostrich needs or what an elephant needs, but uh, it's much harder to figure out what a human needs because what a human wants and what a human needs are are two very blurred categories. And so you won't be surprised to hear that two human beings who've had the same income will not have the same net worth because some human beings have the willpower to save and invest. Other human beings surrender to the impulse to spend and have fun. 
So they will not end up with exactly the same. If you want to know why that is, that's not a physical difference. It's a spiritual difference. And, and that is why no complete understanding of economics can exist without an understanding of the spiritual as well, because so much having to do with money is spiritual. And uh, the difference between humans and chimps physically is not a lot, only about, as they say, 2%. Although, by the way, for those of you interested in the evolutionary biology side of things, that is a gross oversimplification of the DNA similarity. But I'm happy to grant it for the moment. It doesn't matter. Uh, because the fundamental difference between humans and chimpanzees is spiritual, not physical. And what's so interesting about the primates is they show us what we are without the spiritual. In other words, uh, when, when human beings strip away their spiritual and we abandon that part of our humanity, we become more and more like primates. I mean, that's, that's, it's clear and simple to understand. We become very basic human beings driven by our appetites. We're essentially at that point uh, primates with a limited capacity to speak. I say a limited capacity to speak because when human beings fall back on obscenities and vulgarities and, uh, and bad language in, in all its manifestations, uh, what is really happening is they are compensating for an inability to communicate and articulate effectively. That's all it is. And the spiritual desire to communicate remains there. And as human beings become spiritually impoverished, one of the aspects of our beings that becomes diminished is our ability to communicate effectively. And our desire to communicate remains there. And so we throw in uh, various words that get used as adjectives and as verbs and uh, as adverbs. And it's the same, usually the same word all the time. Um, we, we, we find that almost inevitably it, it happens all the time. You will see it as people uh, reveal an almost inability to communicate without falling back on frequent F-bombs dropping in the sentence in, as I say, every possible usage imaginable. Uh, what really is happening is a you're seeing at a person who is uh, experiencing a severe diminution of their spiritual existence. This manifests itself most often in a limited ability to communicate, and because the desire to communicate is still there, but they have they lack easy access to the adjectives and the nouns and the uh, verbs and the adverbs. Uh, they just fall back on uh, on uh, obscenities and uh, and vulgarities, and and I get it. When you see people communicating like that, you are looking at people who are losing the prime thing that distinguishes us from primates. Yeah, I told him you're absolutely right. Our difference be between us and chimpanzees is only two percent on a physical level. On a spiritual level, it's infinite. It's much more than 100%. The difference is infinite. And so uh, it, it, it's worthwhile getting that, uh, that this is just a, a, a part of who, of, of who we are, right? Not hard to get. Now, before I go into differences between men and women, uh, let me ask you to, uh, first of all, subscribe to the podcast 
And uh, and that's like routine, right? Almost every podcast, usually at the very beginning, says, oh, please, if you like this, go ahead and subscribe. <coughs> and so you've heard it before and uh, you'll hear it again. So there you are. I've asked you to subscribe. And if you can, that would be fantastic. And I would appreciate it. Uh, if not, you're still welcome to listen, of course. So um, second thing I would ask you to do is head over to wehappywarriors.com and uh, join our Happy Warrior community because there's no question about it. Fighting the forces of entropy is hard. That's all there is to it. Working on improving your finances instead of just going to work every day, but doing more than that, um, almost as a passion-filled right of excitement uh, you you work on improving your finances and there are real important ways of doing that that you will be able to gain from the website at rabbidaniellappin.com. Uh, you can go to the uh, financial prosperity collection. But there, there are really things you have to do. And in order to make sure that you have access to all of these things, it would be great if you would uh, be able to go ahead and join us as a happy warrior which you will find, again, easy to do on the website, wehappywarriors.com. you got it. There's two websites. They interlink with each other. One is rabbidaniellappin.com, and uh, one is wehappywarriors.com. The wehappywarriors.com is kind of really for folks who have already joined our community of happy warriors. But at any rate, so subscribe to the podcast, become a happy warrior, and uh, away we go. I said I would touch on um, men and women being different. Yeah, look, um, you want to tell me there's not a big difference between men and between humans and, and chimpanzees? Yeah, you're right. On a physical level, it's not a huge difference. On a spiritual level, it's immense. How about the differences between men and women? Now, look, uh, there are obviously significant physical differences. There's no question about it. Uh, women's bodies produce a few relatively large eggs for reproduction. And for reproduction, men's bodies produce large numbers of very small sperm. Uh, but the main difference between men and women is, of course, spiritual. That's the main difference. That's where the huge differences are. Uh, we know that men are stimulated visually much more than women are. Uh, we know that women are stimulated more by the ear than they are visually. And so uh, this, of course, is one of the reasons. I've discussed this in the past that um, uh, artificial, um, artificial dolls um, that are enhanced by artificial intelligence and are made to be as lifelike as possible, exist on the marketplace for men. So where is the parallel for women? I mean, if you believe in equality between men and women, why is the market not producing and selling the same number of male dolls for the use of, of lonely women? And the answer is it doesn't work for women because women are looking for something much more. Yes, if you produce a female doll that looks female, men will respond to it. But um, women want a man that communicates with them, that doesn't just look 
masculine, has got to do much more than look pretty for a woman. And so, not surprisingly, artificiality has limitations for women, although it does work on men. And um, that's a purely spiritual difference. Um, almost nothing like that exists for women on the market uh, because there is no market for it. Women are just not interested for the most part. Um, look, secularism produces an obsession with equality. Men and women must be equal. Men and women, everything must be equal. There's a total obsession with equality produced by secularism. Now, I want you to look for a moment at the real world. At the real world, there's, there's no such thing. Where, where is equality in the real world? Do you think all leopards are equal to all other leopards? Do you think all camels are equal to all other camels? Do you think all cows are equal to all other cows? Do you think all cats are equal to all? Come on, I'm being ridiculous. You know that's not true. Uniqueness is built into the natural world. Right? Equality is not a thing. It's just not a real thing. Even at the most basic elemental level, <clears throat> um, you think of electrons at the most basic particle that there is in the world. You can't even get two electrons in exactly the same state. You simply can never find two electrons in the same position with their two spins in the same direction because it's not possible to have two identical electrons with the same momentum. And it, they can't. It doesn't exist. If they are at the same location or with the same state of motion, the only possible explanation is they are spinning in opposite directions <clears throat> because uniqueness is built into the natural world. Think about that, okay? It's really important. And nowhere is it more important than in the human being, in you and in me and in him and in her, each one of us, absolutely unique. Not unique physically, but unique spiritually. Oh, what are we going to do when they clone human beings? Well, we already have it. It's called identical twins. Identical twins have exactly the same DNA. But they're two different human beings because they may be identical physically, but they are two completely different people spiritually. Saying men and women should be equal, it's just stupid. It's demonstrably impossible. You want to say men and women should have the same rights? Sure, but that's been the case for years. But when the role of wife and mother gets denigrated and mocked, that's not making the case for equality. That is carrying water for a radical anti-family agenda. And an anti-family agenda is very damaging and very destructive. And if you don't believe me, well, then you would be someone who does not try to run a business in San Francisco or in Seattle or in any of the other woke cities that have been governed by left-wing Democrats for, for three or four or five decades. Um, because if you were, you would know already that the people that are forcing you to close your business, the people that are forcing you 
to hire expensive guards and install expensive security equipment in order to stop flagrant shoplifting, then you would know that all the culprits, all the perpetrators of those criminal activities that are making it impossible for you to continue earning a living, you would know one thing, and that is they did not grow up in intact families. There's nothing else you know about them. There's nothing else you can predict about them. But you can predict that they grew up in non-intact families, most likely with a single mother, most likely not knowing who their fathers are. That is the one thing you can know for sure about the people who are destroying society, whether it's in the United Kingdom, whether it's in Scandinavia, whether it is in Germany, whether it's in France right now. What do you think unifies all the people who are rioting through the streets of France? And I'm speaking now summer 2023, but what I'm saying was true 10 years ago. It'll be true 10 years from now. If it's not France, it'll be Ireland. It'll, it doesn't make any difference. But the one thing you can be sure about regarding the people who are destroying civilization, the people who are perpetrating crimes, both against human beings and against property, are perpetrating crimes at such an increasing level of intensity that conventional civilized life becomes impossible. And when stores have to close in certain areas, or when stores can no longer operate economically because the cost of doing business in terms of stopping uh, crime is so high that it doesn't warrant running the business, then that is a cost that is borne by almost everybody. It's very destructive. And the one thing you know, I want to make this really, really clear. You don't know about the religion. You don't know about the, um, the color. You don't know about the color. You don't know anything about these people excepting one thing. These perpetrators did not grow up with their mother and father married to one another and living in a home together and diligently raising a family with family values. That's for sure. And so really, you would think that if there's one thing a sane society should be promoting, it's family life. A sane society should be promoting the beautiful and irresistible polarity of male and female. A normal society, a sane society should be promoting marriage and raising families, and fertility would then be a natural consequence of that. And the result of that will be a diminishing of crime to the point of it almost being non-existent. Yes, that's true. Almost non-existent. Because the people who are destroying civilization in whatever country it is are people who did not get raised by a married mother and a father. That's, you can count on that. And so it's clear that uh, people's Hatred, society's hatred for the structure of family life is even greater than their love of peace and prosperity because their streets are deprived of peace by vicious thugs who've never heard the words, thou shalt not. Vicious thugs who've never looked lovingly into the face of a father. And you would think, that if people 
in the cultures, wherever, whichever country you're thinking about, if they really, really wanted to do away with poverty, if they really wanted to do away with crime, if they really wanted to improve education, all they would do is promote normal, healthy family life. But they're not. They're eroding the distinction between men and women. They're promoting relationships that produce nothing. And so the results are terrible education figures in countries that are following these policies. Look, I mean, look, wokeism is just, I mean, it's, it's a way of destroying civilization. That's all there is to it. And so you'd say, why would sane people do that? Well, you might say, you know, this Rabbi Daniel Lappin is a guy, we, we don't agree with everything he says, but, you know, he's sort of basically sane, maybe eccentric, but basically sane. Yet the one of the things that he does that is extremely eccentric, if not outright inexplicable, is he pays three times the going price for meat whenever he wants to have a barbecue. All right? You, I'm not going to tell you what lamb chops cost today. And if you want kosher lamb chops, well, now you really are talking significant money. Why? That's irrational. Why does he do it? Well, because of his belief system. Belief systems make us do things that are irrational because it follows a higher good that we deem in our soul. Now, uh, G.K. Chesterton said so eloquently um, that people who... Um, uh, who who believe in uh, who do not believe in God, never end up believing in nothing. They believe in anything. In other words, built into us. And and this, I, I want to. I, I want you to hear this clearly, and I want you to think about this. And if you then decide to reject it, that's fine. But please don't reject it before you've really thought about it very carefully. And that is that human beings were created with certain inbuilt inviolables. We have an inbuilt urge to breathe air. We have an inbuilt urge to drink water and so on. We also have an inbuilt urge to believe in something above ourselves, more important than ourselves. Please Contemplate that carefully. I have just told you a very important truth. If you wonder why your rabbi does something irrational, like spending three times as much as he needs to on his meat, the answer is because of my beliefs. If you want to know why people do irrational things, like... Um, um, arranging policies that end up costing them because of climate change. It's because of a belief system. If you want to know why people are happy to destroy their culture, their society, and their civilization by obstructing the formation of normal, healthy, traditional families, it's because of their belief system. Because if people really cared about prosperity and peace and tranquility and good living, they would do everything they could to encourage normal, traditional family life. But because their belief system 
is essentially the belief system of a religion called secular fundamentalism. Oh, yeah, it's a fundamentalist faith, all right. It's even more fundamentalist than uh, radical Islam. Oh, yeah. No, secular fundamentalism. Oh, yeah. No, it's a very, very fundamentalist faith. And that is what it is that uh, people are really believing in and strongly believing in. Make no mistake about it. And so what they're also doing is pushing not only the idea of male-female equality, which is a stupidity, as I said, it's demonstrably false, demonstrably false in the real world. I mean, just open your eyes. Men and women have to be equal. (laughs) Yeah, right. And the sun and the moon have to be equal, but they're not. (laughs) But they keep it going. And and where, where it's very interesting is where they push it with income inequality is the most dangerous threat to democracy. Have you heard that? Um, I Googled it, by the way. I found dozens and dozens of statements by politicians, by leaders. Oh, by the way, World Economic Forum, the Davos people, everybody. Oh, income inequality is one of the biggest threats. And so, you know, I thought, why? I'm, I'm curious about it, right? The fact that The fact that family formation in the Western world, whether it's in Ireland or Germany, whether it's in Sweden or Italy, whether it's in um, the United States or in Canada, family formation is at the lowest it has been, right? That worries me. That terrifies me. You know why? Because boys need fathers to help them acquire self-discipline and to become men of honor, Anybody with any real-life experience of the criminal justice system will tell you that the one factor, as I've explained to you, more shared by incarcerated men, it's not economic status, it's not race, it's not a gang affiliation, it's the absence of a father when they grew up as children. That's it. More boys without dads, the more frightened we should be. It's sad, but it's very simple. So if you want to talk to me about uh, the destruction of family life, and the obliteration of normal male-female relationships, you are terrifying me. But if you want to terrify me with the story of income inequality, why? Honestly, I'm trying to find out. I I was really open to this. Is there an aspect of economics with which I'm not familiar? Very possible. Is there an aspect of economics that explains that income inequality produces poverty, produces destruction of the economy? Yeah, if, if there's evidence for that, please, I'd, I'd be fascinated. But there isn't, you see. One thing is for sure, and that's there is more talk about income inequality now than ever before. Pundits and politicians pontificate about how dangerous income inequality is, because they want, obviously, income equality. But, you know, I, I, I like to try and figure things out. I like to try and understand things. And what's more, I am deeply bothered when I cannot understand something. There have been a number of occasions where I literally cannot go to sleep. Or I wake up in the night and I can't go back to sleep because I'm tackling a problem I don't understand. It makes no sense. Um, listen to one of these. Uh, these are pundits. I mean, I'm quoting to you from World Economic Forum. I'm quoting from International Monetary Fund. I'm quoting from World Bank. 
<clears throat> I'm just reading you a couple of things they say. For businesses, systematic inequality is a great source of risk. I mean, <laughs> I, should, I should do some editorializing on the way. Why? All right, well, it limits productivity. How? And has the potential to constrain consumer spending and growth. How? Why? How does it do that? Income inequality is a great source of risk. It destabilizes supply chains. Really? Really? It triggers political instability. Really? Really? A hundred years of political stability during the Victorian era of the British Empire. A hundred years of political instability. There could hardly have been more income inequality than there was in Victorian England. So the burden of proof is on you. If you're telling me that inequality triggers political instability, you've got to show me how. Political uh, Income inequality jeopardizes people's social license to operate. On this one, I won't even ask how. I'll say, what on earth does that mean? Income inequality has long been a significant problem in the United States. Well, I'll tell you, income inequality has long been present in the United States, even during our best years. What income inequality, listen to this one. I mean, this is not me talking. Please don't even for a moment think I would say a thing like this. I'm reading to you. Income inequality has been correlated with higher levels of crime. Oh, correlate. So all of a sudden, correlation does equal causation, apparently. Otherwise, it would be meaningless and you would never say such a stupid thing. Income inequality has been correlated with higher levels of crime. I think income inequality has also been correlated with the departure of pirates from the Caribbean. So maybe we need to bring pirates back to the Caribbean. Income inequality has been correlated with men no longer wearing wigs. Well, what's correlation got to do? Never mind. This, these, are, these are people you are supposed to believe. Income inequality has been correlated with higher levels of crime, stress, and mental illness. Oh, so now we know what's causing the scourge of mental illness in the United States. It couldn't possibly have anything to do with what you've heard me explain on this show before, and you will hear me explain again, that when you strip away the spiritual part of life from human beings who are already hardwired to need a spiritual dimension, you end up with sick people. That's not hard to understand. Income inequality has been correlated with mental illness. They're reaching. I mean, my goodness. That is in and of itself surely enough reason to dismiss income inequality as anything like a serious problem. Listen to this one. This is even better. Historical social ills such as, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> Historical social ills such as slavery, immigration problems, and Japanese internment camps are correlated with higher levels of income inequality. My friends, that's how you can know that income inequality is not a problem. Because if it was they would have been able to give us the hows and the whys and the wherefores. And instead, when you look up what actually is the problem with income inequality, you get things like it's correlated with slavery, 
immigration problems and Japanese internment camps. Japanese internment camps caused by income inequality. Well, we said, correlate. Well, why don't you use cause? Show us what's actually is, is the cause and effect relationship. Well, we don't actually have any cause and effect relationships for income inequality. You mean it's not, it doesn't cause higher levels of crime, stress, and mental illness? Well, no, it's just correlated with that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, really? Is that what we're talking about? Listen, <clears throat> um, the fact is, I don't know about you, but my guess is that if you're a happy warrior, you are quite comfortable living among people who have less money than you do. And you're also comfortable helping them with a hand up. You give away 10% of your income. And ideally, you, you give it to end users. You try and give it to people that can directly help somehow. In the same way, I think you and me, all of us happy warriors, we're okay living among people who have much more than we have. Really. As a matter of fact, I'm perfect. I like it. It's fine. <laughs> I like living in an area that, that has beautiful homes and well-kept gardens and, uh, and where people drive nice cars. It's nice. I, I have no problem with living among people. I'd like to live, you know, I'd like the people around where I live to, to be richer even than they are. For happy warriors, how it's much, much, much more important, much, much more important how people behave than how much money they have. When I speak of high class, I don't mean rich people. High class means people who behave as if they are living with a past, a present, and a future. When I speak of low class, I don't mean poor people. Low class are people who live only in the present. Now, they tend to be people who don't have much money because when you live in the present, you just tend not to make much money. I've often explained that one of the reasons I stress family as long as with finance is that having children helps you make money. You know why? Because you are more tuned to the future when you live with your children. You should thank your children every day. You should thank your wife every day for giving you children if you're men. How people behave is much more important than how much money they have. Shall I say that again? How people behave is much more important than how much money they have. You know, we feel sympathy for poor people. And if anything, I would say that happy warriors are inspired to greater effort by rich people in the hopes of us also reaching their levels of affluence. It's not a bad thing. But all those who are agitating politically about inequality, they insist that it's terrible, but they will not tell us how and why. The wealth gap is frightening. I don't think it is. Income inequality is one of America's biggest problems. I think not. Income inequality is threatening democracy. No, it isn't. The obliteration of normal traditional family life. Now that is threatening democracy. How about maybe, all right, fine, income inequality. I, you obviously cannot prove that it's damaging or dangerous or causes harm to anybody. Well, what about those correlations? <laughs> well, what about those correlations? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so, 
if income inequality cannot be shown to be dangerous or harmful or damaging in any way at all, which it can't, then maybe it's just plain immoral. You know, and if something is immoral, even if it's not harmful, if something is immoral, that's a good enough reason not to do it. The trouble is that the words moral and immoral are utterly meaningless without us specifying the framework that defines morality. For instance, if the framework endorses socialism, liberalism, progressivism, then in that framework, inequality is obviously immoral, by definition, in the framework. This means we must, we must empower government to tax the rich in order to redistribute their money to the poor. And by the way, if you wondered who will do the defining of what means rich and what means poor, well, that'll be government power as well. And, um, you know, um, what do you think? Right? This isn't a real-life experiment because we can't actually do it, but you can do a thought experiment on this. Let us say that we, in one day, we were capable of taking away all the bank accounts and all the assets and all the wealth of everybody in America, and, uh, and then we divided it all up by 332,764,000 as of 20 seconds ago, and that's the number of people in America, and then we give that amount of money to each person, and then we slap our hands together, we pat each other on the back, well done, everybody, we have achieved it. We've given equality to America. We finally made it happen. What do you think things would look like in one month, one year, and three years from now? What do you think would things look like? Do I have to tell you? Of course not. You are a happy warrior. You can deal with reality. You do not need rose-colored glasses. You do not need rainbows and unicorns. You can face reality. You can confront the truth. If everybody in America received, shall we say, a million dollars tomorrow, or three million dollars, or half, it doesn't matter, what do you think the financial landscape of America would look like in a month's time, in a year's time, and in three years' time? And I think you know the answer very well. You know why? Because of spiritual differences. If you put a huge pile of three tons of feed in front of every elephant, you know, in this experiment, let's do another thought experiment, gather together 300 elephants, put down, put them each in their separate enclosure in front of each one, put three tons of feed Come back in a week's time, and what will you find? You will find a pile of feed remaining, proportional to how much time has elapsed, and the weight of the elephant which governs how much he eats. In other words, what animals do with their assets, namely food, is absolutely predictable. But you know that if we gave everybody in the United States a million dollars, and we came back in a month, and in, in a year, and in three years... Uh, we would not find that they all have the same thing. You know why? Because they are 
equal physically. They're not equal. Well, they're not even equal physically, but spiritually, they're most decidedly not equal. And so how they will treat their windfall differs dramatically. Yeah. And so what will they do then? Have an arrangement to redistribute all the cash in America every 10 years, every five years, every one year? All right. That's the viewpoint of those who believe in secular fundamentalism, who believe in socialism, liberalism, progressivism, wokeism. But there's another morality defining framework. And it's one that has sculpted the civilization that socialism always wishes to dismantle. And this is the Bible-based Judeo-Christian vision. And in the Judeo-Christian Bible-based vision, you can search as long as you like for any sign that equality is a guiding moral principle. Oh, I understand that in socialism, progressivism, in secular fundamentalism, in wokeism, equality is the defining principle. I get that. But in the Judeo-Christian biblical vision, you will search forever trying to find any sign that equality is a guiding moral principle. And just as absent is any condemnation of inequality. As a matter of fact, in all the 79,976 Hebrew words that make up the five books of Moses, the law of Moses, the Mosaic law, the Torah, the word equal appears exactly once. And I'm going to tell you where it is. Now, if you don't yet own a Bible, and I, I, I look, happy warriors have to own a Bible. I'm sorry. That's all there is to it. This is the book that has done more to shape the civilization in which you live. Yeah, you need a copy of the Bible. Go to rabbidaniellappin.com. Go to the store. You'll find the one Bible that I recommend. It's right there. Have it sent to you. And when you got it, turn to chapter Genesis chapter 14 and verse 17. Remember I told you that the word equal appears only once in the whole Torah? Only one time in all of the five books of Moses? Well, here it is. Genesis chapter 14, verse 17. And here's what it says. Of the kings who were with him at the valley of equality, which is the valley of the king. I've just quoted verse 17 in chapter 14 of Genesis. And uh, it's called in Hebrew, Amek HaShaveh. And it means the valley of equality. That is the only time in the five books of Moses that the word equal shows up. And, you know, nowhere else. To, it never says anywhere, thou shalt not have an unequal society. Thou shalt not have a society of unequal income, saith the Lord. No, none of those things are there. The Hebrew word shaveh means equal. And chapter 14 of Genesis not only contains the Torah's one and only mention of the word equal, but it also contains the first mention in the Bible of the word king. And what is more, it actually contains many more mentions of the word king than any other chapter in Scripture. So there it's interesting, and these are important aspects of ancient Jewish wisdom. And by the way, if you are interested in gaining a deeper understanding into how the Bible yields 
it's significant adult level serious information, which is not through translation, then you will want to have a look at our scrolling through scripture program. You'll find that in the Rabbi Daniel Lappin website, rabbidaniellappin.com, and uh, look for scrolling through scripture. It's truly life-changing. I'm not going to say anything else. It's life-changing because it gives you access to the most significant book in Western civilization in a way you've never had before. It's called Scrolling Through Scripture. It's a 20-part program, and uh, it's, it's, let me just say it's life-changing, like I said. And so this one chapter not only contains more uses of the word king than any other chapter, it also has the very first usage of king, which is significant, and it has the only mention of equal. Well, the very first verse of chapter 14 starts off, and it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar. That's right. The opening verse of the entire story mentions Amraphel, king of Shinar. Now, there's a program on my website called Tower of Power, Decoding the Secrets of Babel. And in that, I walk you through all the steps that lead ancient Jewish wisdom to see that Amraphel was another name for Nimrod, the king of Shinar. And for that, just to go back to chapter 10, verse 10 in Genesis. I mean, this is a very exciting little journey. I, I, you know, some of you will take it, some of you won't. But for those of you who do, um, I'll accept your thank yous. And uh, Nimrod's vision in chapter 10, verse 10, Nimrod's vision of social organization is the centralized control system that makes war against Abraham's biblical vision of human freedom. I think you're beginning to see the connection here. Freedom and equal are opposites. And if you're not sure of what I just said, freedom and equal are opposites, just think how much government enforcement would be needed to bring about the physical impossibility of equal. Do you think governments are, have the power to produce two identical electrons? <laughs> no, they don't. They are not, I'm sure the governments think they can, but do you think governments have the ability to make two human beings equal? Do you think governments have the ability to make the life chances of a child brought up by a loving mother and a father married to one another and dedicated to their family, do you think government can make the life chances of a child like that equal to the life chances of a child brought up by a single woman, a child who never knew its father? Do you think these two children, whatever government does, do you think these two children have equal cracks at life? Do you think sending them to the same GIC, government indoctrination camp formerly known as public schools, do you think that'll make their life chances equal? No. Governments cannot produce equality, but in attempting to, and by promising people equality, they will utterly obliterate freedom. And so, Genesis chapter 14, verse 17, that's the climax of the story. Abraham has defeated 
the dangerous vision of equality, of Nimrod at the Valley of Equality, Nimrod and his allies used this idealistic promise of equality to gain their power over the people. And then at the end, Abraham replaces the false vision of equality with the true vision of the Valley of the King. Do you see how the Valley of Equality eventually becomes the Valley of the King, the vision of God, the King of everything? Inequality is not scary, my friends. You know what's really scary? When politicians start talking about inequality, that's scary. Because when politicians start focusing, oh, we've got to do something about income inequality, it's so dangerous. When they promise to eradicate inequality, it's terrifying to me. You know why? Because that can only be achieved by obliterating freedom. That's all. And so um, you've got to see that that's really what's going on. And the, the resources that will help you achieve that on rabbidaniellappin.com. Look for a resource called Tower of Powder, Tower of Power, Decoding the Secrets of Babel. Look for a resource called Scrolling Through Scripture and become a happy warrior. Join us in our happy warrior community. And so, dear friends and happy warriors, one and the same, it is time to bring today's show to a close. Love to hear from you. Uh, again, on the We Happy Warrior site, uh, easiest way to communicate with me and um, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. I love to have the subscription numbers going up. And until next week, I want to wish you a week in which you travel onwards and upwards with your finances, with your faith, with your friendships, with your family, and with your fitness. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.